You ready? Let's roll. Hey, Conscious Parent. I'm Jen, Conscious Parenting Coach, Somatic Breathwork Practitioner, and a Recovering Helicopter Mom. And I'm Mike, Jen's husband and co-host, ADD Dad, here to tell you men, it's okay to talk about your feelings. We're parents of two teenagers and live in Seattle, Washington. And just like you, we balance school and sports schedules, meal planning, homework, and not to mention being that Uber driver 24-7. Hitting rock bottom 10 years ago woke us up to the concept of self-discovery and reparenting ourselves to create healthy relationships with our children, partners, and community. And we're here to talk about exactly how to do that through insightful conversations and discussions. This podcast is something you can share with your significant other. So share the link with them, grab your favorite drink because we've got work to do. (laughs) Hello, hello. Welcome back, Conscious Parent. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we're going to talk about what is conscious parenting. There are so many different ways to parent flooded with information of books and strategies And we felt it was really important to really discuss in detail what we believe sets conscious parenting apart. Oprah called Dr. Shafali, who is the founder of Conscious Parenting. This type of approach is revolutionary. It literally has turned what we believe to be a parent upside down. It has been a game changer for our own life, our own children, our own relationships, and my own way to be a mom. Today, we are going to go into depth of what is conscious parenting and why is this approach something that could possibly heal some deep-seated relationships within your family and bring just more connection and joy. We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts, your feedback, your personal stories related to today's episode by leaving us a voicemail. Dial the number in the show notes and be a part of the conversation. We can't wait to hear from you. We are back. We're back. Episode two. Here we go. Thanks for coming back. I know. Thanks for coming back after our gloom and doom (laughs) first episode. Yeah, and I'm personally excited that so far things are running smoothly. So this is first take. I haven't fucked up. It's looking good. And I have learned that uh, in the podcasting world, there is such a thing called voice ticks. I didn't realize I had a fucking voice tick. Oh, so look at you. I am hoping that this time around, I do not sound like a Valley Girl trucker. Like, <laughs> like, like I think I said like probably. I don't know, 50 times on the first episode. And dude, I was swearing up a storm. It's okay. You're expressing yourself. I am. Or perhaps I still have a lot of rage I need to work through. So, okay. We are going to talk about what is conscious parenting. I think because there are so many other parenting ways out there and we hear about them all, positive parenting, peaceful parenting, gentle parenting, old school parenting, free range parenting. (laughs) (laughs) And- It's important that we discuss what we are about, conscious parenting, which the founder of this is Dr. Shafali. And she started this conversation back when her first book came out, which was, what was that? 2010. It was back then not something that you talked about because she really challenges what I still feel is kind of the mainstream modern way mindset of parenting. And what makes her very unique is she really is taking the philosophy of the East with the mindfulness practices and with the psychology of the West. So we have to understand the psyche of the parent, like what's going on that got developed. 
But also, how do we take the wisdom from the Eastern philosophies of mindfulness and combine those to create this awareness, this conscious parenting? So I think this is what we wanted to talk about, what this is about, the core philosophies, I guess you could say, and then share some examples because it's kind of when you first hear it, you're like, what are they talking about? Like, this is not going to work. Yeah. And just for you guys out there might be wondering when we say Eastern philosophy, there will be no meditation during this, <laughs> yeah. during this uh, podcast session. <laughs> we won't be yeah, levitating. And <laughs> yes. Yes. You will not be have to get cross-legged and hum and try to levitate. But we will be talking about breath work because it is such a profound tool that you can use in this philosophy to really go inside and really help the parent heal. So I wanted to start with a quote. I felt it was good to use Dr. Shafali's words. And she was the one that really started this, uh, as Oprah calls her, a revolutionary approach to parenting. Dr. Shafali says, first, is the parents need to be at the highest level of consciousness in order to raise their child. And she goes on to say that conscious parenting is a game changer. By focusing on the parent, it asks the parent to raise themselves and the child within themselves before they raise the child before them. And this is kind of a profound statement because we all, and all parenting that I remember and how we, I think we parented our kids what, for the first half of their life, it, yeah. was, it was about the child. Yes. Like, what is the child doing? Why aren't they listening? Are they misbehaving? Is their room dirty? Did they do what we told them to do? And why not? They're going to have to, is there going to be a consequence or we're going to fucking talk about it? I think it's funny because it's called parenting. So it's about the parent. If it was about the child, it'd be called, what, is that a word? Childering? Childing. We're childing. (laughs) Yeah. And what I've come to learn about this way of just moving through life in this role called a parent is that it's so much easier for me to have the problem than to try to change and fix my child. And, you know, we think about depression is something we have definitely experienced with our child is I'd rather be the one struggling with the problem of depression and working on me. I have the life experience and the brain development to deal with it versus the child. So this really is asking us, why don't we take on the ownership of fixing us, take the lens off the child and see what kind of magic starts to happen? Because it's been quite magical. Yeah. So I think it's so easy to focus on what's wrong with their kids or what are they doing going crazy. But what about you? Like, what are you dealing with or not dealing with? The change and the rise we've seen in our kids when we work on ourselves or we're making changes or we're doing the hard work, it, they just kind of come along for the ride and suddenly they're doing better because we're doing better. Yeah. I think another uh, pinnacle content uh, or idea around conscious parenting is the element of a little bit of a spirituality concept here. This idea that perhaps there could be a little bit of a soul contract or this idea that the parent called in this child into this life to really help the parent evolve and grow on their own soul's journey. Because let me tell you, when Matthew came out, it was as if he came out with a agenda of like, mom, you asked me to come this way and I'm going to force you until you hit your knees to start working on you. And that is exactly what happened. So it is this, you know, unique concept that there is this divine purpose almost with this unique relationship you have with a child and a parent. 
that you don't have with any other adult. You know, this child comes in pure. And when we start to realize that, quote, they're having issues, well, who was putting that onto them? You know, children absorb their environment and they come in relatively pure. They have their temperament. They have their natural nature. But when they start to have, quote, bad behaviors or start to, quote, misbehave, where did they get it from? They're absorbing it from us. And so it's this unique relationship that you get to almost use it as a mirror if you so choose, which can be really fucking hard. But they're showing you and reflecting back to you all that they've learned from you, nobody else. And so that's the real, I think, the most challenging first acceptance of conscious parenting and to choose to be a conscious parent is knowing that this child is only reflecting back to you what it learned from you. And it can be a really hard reality check, especially when they become teenagers. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, these kids, whatever you believe, came down here or came out in the world. They they don't know any different. Like they're like clay or whatever one is. And what they're learning and they're reflecting back to us is what was we're, we're putting on them. And then we get all crazy when they're not acting how we want them to act. And then we're, you know, this gets worse and worse. It's like, who's really should be in the, the spotlight here. Yeah, exactly. And I think as you go, you know, once you can kind of get through that first hurdle, which I recognize it is, I mean, it's, it's a big thing to accept. It's not something we all want to say, oh, the child is because of me. Like I made this happen. Like I, I co-created this bad behavior. But when you start really kind of moving in that direction, you, your perspective changes. And as a conscious parent, you begin to ask different questions. So you begin to asking, what is it about this kid's behavior right now that's making me so angry, making me so fired up and ignited? Why am I so pissed off because of what they just did? It challenges you to start looking at yourself. And this has been something that we have done rinse and repeat <laughs> how many times <laughs> through the years. And it really challenges you to deconstruct everything. The deconstruction process is fucking exhausting. <laughs> and it happens after every moment, every moment, every moment you're fucking pissed off, pissed off, pissed off. Oh my God, I need to deconstruct. And whatever happened in that moment, that has nothing to do with the way you're feeling. Yeah. The way you're feeling is not caused by what happened in that moment or by your child. It's because something has been triggered within you. It's not what happened in that present moment. Exactly. So what does this even mean? So what a deconstruction process looks like when we break down the psyche of the parent, we start with what we can observe the most. We can observe the parent's reactions and their feelings. We can see that the clearest. So we can see that I'm fucking angry right now. And so I screamed and I yelled. So this is where we begin as a parent. I was angry. I screamed. Now, what is below the feeling is a thought. This is where most of us never get to. We stay in this reactive emotional state. And so if we go a layer deeper, we're like, what was I thinking before I got angry? And then we go a layer lower and we're like, what's the belief system? So what do I believe to be true that I think this thought to have this feeling, to have this reaction? Oh no, there's one more layer. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Fourth layer. <laughs> What is the pattern? The pattern is what we at a childhood level 
in our psyche, probably before the age of six or seven, these deep seated patterns are embedded in us and we absorb it from our childhood. It's what we are witnessing around us. So there is this pattern, almost think of it like a Groundhog Day loop. It just keeps looping us into the same pattern. So this pattern dictates the belief system, dictates the feelings up to the emotion, up to the reaction. And so there's this theory that we all just live a bunch of patterns. We don't live lives. And so how do you do this? Let's give them an example. Okay. Kate, youngest daughter, can be very emotional, very big emotions. So she would have huge reactions like to nothing, like completely over the top yelling freaking out I'm, I'm like what the fuck like what are you getting so upset about nothing for why are you taking it out on me i'm like oh my god so i used to get very um flooded if you know what i mean by flooded like emotional and then i would almost like not I'd be paralyzed not know what to do to shut down yeah like flooded shut down she wasn't getting mad at me she was just reacting to something but i took it so i take it so personal so if i'm doing this sort of deconstruction process maybe i'm skipping a steps but really as a kid I was never allowed to do that. I was not acceptable for me to be over the top to express myself. I had an older sister that was very much like Kate, very uh, volatile, always being emotional, expressing yourself, yelling, whatever. And that really affected me because things were going to get heightened in the house. And I became this little kid, almost scared. So I'm like, I can't do that. So I was never allowed to express myself. It wasn't safe for you. You already had a volatile or what you viewed as a young kid, this screaming person. So you took on the role in your family to be. Yeah. So I was a peacekeeper. Let it go. Let the storm pass. But I was never allowed to really just express myself. I had to stuff it. And then this leads to this confusion of what do I do here? Like, do I advocate for myself? Do I express? And it's that not knowing that's carried me into adulthood. Like, what do I do here? I'm upset. And I never learned what to do as a kid and it wasn't safe. So I'm thinking, I don't think big emotions are safe now. And plus also then they catch me off guard. I really get upset. Like if I don't see it coming, like it's a normal situation, boom, someone explodes or or overreacts to something very simple. Could also mean, this could also be Jen, doesn't have to be Kate. I get shut down and I get very moody and very like quiet. And Jen will be like, oh, are you Okay. Like she, sometimes Jen won't even know why I'm doing that because it wasn't even that big a deal. Like it wasn't like we had some big argument and she was being mean or something. Like she just had a big reaction like and maybe because she was just tired or something and she just got out of her system. It passes, but I'm still like half hour later being dead silent, all moody and weird. You have worked through a lot of this. I've seen the shift. So how do you think it affects you today now that you have worked through this deconstruction process? And when Kate flips out now, how does it impact you now? Well, right now, um, I just be like, oh, there's nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. They're just reacting. I don't know why it's a big reaction. I probably wouldn't do that. But if it's Kate, maybe she had a tough day at school or maybe she didn't sleep well or maybe she's mad at a friend. So Kate only got you being almost angry with her and making her feel guilty almost for being big emotions. But now when she has big emotions, I think she receives a different message from you. Yeah, I try to I try to leave with some empathy and just understanding, like, I don't really need to say a lot, but it's more like just giving her space, not reacting to her reaction. She's just expressing herself, right? She's a kid. And maybe I got caught off guard, but I'm not reacting to her or expressing anger or frustration or anything. I'm just letting her be. 
And you know what I've observed from the outside of watching your guys' relationship evolve is Kate doesn't have those big outbursts as much as she used to. And I could analyze it, but I won't. But it it just feels like when we shift the way we are responding to their big emotions in life, and kids are fucking emotional. They are, they've not learned emotion regulation. Their hormones are pumping or they're, or they're toddlers and they're just have, you know, pea-sized brains. <laughs> they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're just kids. They're just Remember kids. that, people. They're kids. <laughs> but how we react to them is what starts this pattern building within them that they will create this identity later that will give them so much conflict later as an adult. So you changing your perception of Kate, instead of getting angry and almost resentful and almost making her feel a little bit dumb and stupid for being so emotional, you're giving her compassion and empathy and like, wow, I hear you, must uh, what's going on with you? Now she doesn't have to be so loud to get dad's attention or to know that, okay, people are going to come to me and actually figure out what's, how, how can they help me? Because kids don't know how to put these emotions into words. And who is it of uh, me to decide what is a big deal or not? If it's, it could be a big deal to her. I might think it's stupid, but yeah. it, it could be a big deal to her and I need to honor that. Right. I need to honor this is a big deal to her, obviously. Okay. So I think that's a great example. I think the other thing that conscious parenting does is it, it definitely goes against the either old paradigm thinking. Not old, generation. Generational passed down. That's a very true point. It is this hierarchical standpoint that I'm the parent and you're the child. There's this greater than, less than, I'm older than you. I have the wallet. I, you know, you listen to me, kid. Yeah. Like I, like, like jokingly, like, yeah, I'm, I'm your parent. You will listen to me. I'm the authority. I know everything. Don't even think of going against me. Yeah. (laughs) We've nailed it down. But what conscious parenting really challenges and asks the parent to do is rather than thinking that way, it's, it's thinking we are here co-creating this life together. We are here co-creating this relationship together. We are here as a, a kinship and a mutual relationship. Yeah. Like think about how, how much more enjoyable would it be? Like, I love the word kinship. You have a kinship with your kids. Not a top down. And then when you're top down, I got to be on my game to make sure they're not stepping out of line because I'm the boss. It's exhausting. What about a kinship? You know, you work together on everything like a team. A partnership. Partnership. Like getting their opinion. Like, what do you think? Kind of enrolling them more in things. Like, obviously, you're still their parents and you're the, you got to kind of be the leader of the tribe or the pack. But imagine the kinship. You're not in fight or flight. You're disarmed. You're just working out together. It's just a conversation. Like, this is such a different vibe. Just how you would work with like a coworker at a job. You know, you're coming in with the same goal, but you might have different opinions. And how do you work through that conversation? We're teaching these kind of almost conflict resolution. How do you compromise? How do you have compassion for the other? How do you listen to dual sides that might not, you know, agree? We're teaching that in the family. The family household is their training grounds for life. And so a really good example of this, what we have done with is our son, Matthew, and he has struggled with Arfred eating disorder, uh, avoidant restrictive eating disorder. It can be very common among children on the spectrum, um, neurodiverse issues, and it has been a 10 year challenge and we are still working through it. And it has been an up and down roller coaster of so much therapy. And it's, it is probably the hardest thing I think that we've had to witness and it's still happening. So he's been in and out of therapy. And so recently, you know, he's getting on going almost going to be 16. 
And we had found two specialists in this. He was working with them for the last year. I can't say much was really shifting. Just a quick history. You can imagine all the different things we've tried too over the years. We worked with a PhD doctor from the University of Washington. We did hypnotherapy experts in their field. But it wasn't really working. And I have been, this is where I really have had to shift in my parenting perspective because I learned that I was a huge fixer mom. So much anxiety about the future. I must fix, I must control, I must research. And that's what got Matthew into therapy. Well, fast forward to this last fall, I had to step back and look at this from Matthew's perspective. Instead of my parenting, we need to be doing this. I'm older than you. You know, food therapy, you've got to figure this out. It's going to impact the rest of your life. I'm worried about your physical health. But he has to be willing to do the work. I can't do the work for him. It was a huge surrendering to this idea that we can't want it more than our kids. They have to be willing to be uncomfortable to change, just like we have to be uncomfortable to change. Half of adults don't go to therapy because it's too uncomfortable to change and work through your stuff. So who am I to tell the 16-year-old that he needs to do what maybe a 45-year-old can't even do? And it, to me, it's like, I'm trying to like, oh, we teach him all these lessons. He made a commitment to do this therapy. He, he, I don't care if you don't feel like going. I don't care if you're not enjoying it. You've got to do it. Yeah. So we had to basically put our little fat egos aside and be thinking, is this good for Matthew? What, what's happening here? So we had to have a conversation with him where we partnered with him, where we joined in kinship, where we came together as equals and had to have a very honest conversation. And he told us, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was so hard for me to give that up and think, well, what the fuck are you going to do then? How are you ever going to get through this? You're almost 16. And that was a big shift in this mentality of we have to listen to our kids. We don't always potentially know what's best for them. We have to listen to their own guidance of their own soul spirit speaking through. So we ended food therapy and we're still not in it. And who knows what's going to happen? I am leaving this journey up to Matthew. And it is the scariest fucking thing to have that out of my control now. But I got to give you kudos. And maybe I've noticed, Jen, but you you have made a huge shift since we made that shift. Yeah. You personally and mentally, physically, emotionally, you like letting go of that as a mom, the fixture mom. And I've got to be doing all I can mentality and researching. I found these two experts and we got to fix this because what if he goes like, you've really made a change. So I want to give you some real kudos that it's not your fault. It's like letting yourself off the hook. Well, I think that is the hardest thing. You know, moms, we carry without realizing this silent load in our mind, body, soul, everything of this almost attachment cord, this energetic cord to our kids and all their issues. We carry and hold on to it and it impacts us. And I think that's what you're trying to say is I deeply worked through that with my counselor, with my own self. And it was as if I had a death of Matthew. I had to grieve this part of him and let him be free to figure out this really hard thing in his life. And all I can do is sit back now and support and witness and watch and create a container for him to process all his big emotions. I can't do a damn thing about it anymore. That's a really hard thing. So yes, it impacts a mom when we let that go. Yeah. And again, we didn't even roll him in it to begin with. We're like, hey, good news. We found these people can meet with one on this day, one on this day. And just a little note, like we say this, you, you hear eating disorder. You're like, what the? He is completely 100% healthy and happy and thriving. 
to the right growth chart. Um, he has his moments around blood sugar and things like that. And we may talk about it in a later episode, but I want you to want you to know that we're not like, got <laughs> right. this, you know, we're like, well, whatever, you don't want to do therapy. Fuck you. Good luck, dude. Like he's totally, we're trying to expand the foods he eats. Our friend is about a deep fear. It's almost like a mental phobia of trying new foods. So the next challenge or the next perspective that conscious parenting asks of us is to challenge this idea that there is this prescribed checklist that this child is born into. These ideas that are held within families, whether it's passed down cultural or religious or any type of philosophy, it could be you need to go to this university and go become a doctor because all everyone in our generation were doctors. We went to this school. Ryan is a great example of that. Yeah. Okay, Ryan, you don't know this. You're on the podcast. So <laughs> my good friend, Ryan, he grew, grew up in a very Catholic family and his parents are very devout. So his dad and actually his brother, younger brother, he said, you guys are going to Notre Dame, which is the ultimate you know, Catholic destination. So I don't care what you do. You're going there. So, okay. Ryan, good student, works his butt off, doesn't get in, but he got into Boston College, which is a really good school. Um, his brother got into Villanova, actually another good school, but no, Ryan still needed to try to transfer. So Ryan goes out there, has a great time at Boston College, makes all these friends like you do in your first year, but his dad insisted that he go to Notre Dame. So now obviously he had a, he went to Notre Dame, got in, had an amazing time. It's not really about that, but that's just a generational. Just this idea of like, I, you learn what it means to be good, what it means to be bad, what it means to be happy, what it means to be successful. You will believe this. You will go to this school. You will do this. You will play this instrument because everyone in our family played this instrument. It's just this prescribed checklist. Like these are the things we do in our family. And so without thinking and being aware of why do we do these things? Why do we believe this? The parents just kind of regurgitate these generational patterns. And so conscious parenting says, whoa, wait a minute, let's put a pause on this and let's deconstruct. What does this mean? Why, why does this have to be true? I mean, th this is such a big one. Like we all have expectations of what our kids are going to do. Like, what if your kid said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop out of high school and start my own business. And the instruments, like making a kid take an instrument and they hate it. As someone of your friends did piano growing up and fucking hated it. It's just this idea that our children's own right has been kidnapped as a child of what it is that they want to do. What do they like? What do they feel? What do they believe? allowing them the room to create their own life experience and relationship with that versus just adopting a way because their parents said. So a really good example of this is with our daughter, Kate, who uh, for years, she has a really good friend, lives down the street, and their family was deeply immersed in kind of a more modern Christian church, I would say. Yeah, one of those like, you know, fun new age churches, come as you are. They have really good like you know, the kids programs and. Right. And it's still the teachings of Christianity. And Mike and I really, you know, Mike and I have very different viewpoints on spirituality and organized religion. And so we never went to church uh, as her parent, but she was going with her friend and she was really getting into it and she was coming back. And at first it did make me feel a little uncomfortable. I have to be honest, I was aware that she was learning things and I could hear the way she was speaking, that she was deeply getting invested in the teachings of Christianity and not all of it am I 
completely 100% on board because I really want her to keep exploring Kate. And whether that leads her to that, great. But I didn't want her to lose the ability to keep being open to all possibilities. And she was aware that mom had a little bit of a different concept. Dad had a little bit of a different, her brother was totally different. I think we all had a little bit of something different that we thought to be true. But as I continued to work on my own feelings about this and allowed her to explore, I loosened it up a little bit, was able to kind of see this is bringing her great joy. It's bringing her purpose. It's helping her understand her anxiety. It's giving her an anchor within herself to come to when she's overwhelmed. And so she came to us and wanted to get baptized. And that was, I think, a big moment in our life of, I think, almost applauding ourselves that in any other traditional household, that might have not been allowed. We don't believe that. You cannot do that. And for her to be able to do this for herself, make the choice to get baptized for herself. And so my parents came into town and we all went to church and we celebrated Kate. Even though we all believed something potentially different, we were there celebrating her individual choice and you could just see the joy and the excitement. And, and so it, she carries that with her. And I think that was such a profound example because I understand that religion can be a very heightened, triggering concept in a lot of families. And for a lot of kids, they are raised out the gate to believe in something. And we don't know what that individual soul, that child may choose to believe. And so it was just a really beautiful example of us allowing Kate to explore this on her own, choose to get baptized. And I think it was really beautiful and it took a lot of my own personal work to quote, not allow it, but to quote, figure out why does this really make me uncomfortable? Yeah. I, I love the fact that it came organically. Like she was just having a good time. She's like, I want to get baptized. Okay. And yeah, I definitely have my own thoughts on religion and following a religion, but it's just a reminder that there is no one way there's a lot of great ways so whatever works for you that is there's no the way there's many ways and it's giving the children the uh exploration to do that in their own life which is just really challenging i mean i recognize this is so hard we've been battling with chores lately and that's a whole nother thing i mean i'm still constantly having to ask myself what the fuck do i believe to this why do i think this so deeply to be true why am i trying to get my kid to do this thing it is a never ending process. But when we can do it and then we see on the other side what becomes of our child because we allowed them to be them, that's the most rewarding thing I've ever witnessed, probably. Yeah. It, it's just what, it, like, again, when it comes from them, Nick just coming with an idea. It's the same thing now, not maybe as controversial, dramatic, but Kate has really gotten into volleyball. Oh, that's so, that's such a good point because, again, here I am, this young mom trying to, I have this belief that I need to get her involved in all these things. And I was signing her up for dance and then cheer and then gymnastics and then basketball and then soccer. And nothing was sticking. And I was almost getting like angry, like judgmental and resentful or almost jealous, I would say, of other 
parents that I would meet along the way and their girls like got all upped into it. And then they were, then they became on the dance club and then they became into gymnastics. I'm like, my daughter wasn't sticking to shit. Thing is too, that I'm like, you know, I work in a big workplace. It's like, someone's like, what'd you do this weekend? They list off these, all these things they're doing with their kids. And we went to this and we went here and did, then we did this and they had this and we had to run over here. It was so hectic. I envied that though, because I thought that meant I was a good mom. Yeah. But that's a trap though. I mean, this badge of honor. Like are how busy and how many extracurriculars are your kids doing and how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Think about how different would be if like we said, you got to pick a sport and then say she picks something. We're making her go because we paid the money. You're going. I don't care if you hate basketball. You said you would do it. You it was your idea. We let you pick and we spent eight hundred dollars on the on the basketball. You're going. So there you are driving. You're both quiet in the car because she's pissed because doesn't want to go. You're pissed because. You're pissed that she doesn't want to go. Like, just think about all that. Yeah, that's that's really true because watching Kate play volleyball, it, it it's shocking. <laughs> I never thought that we'd be watching, be on a court. We used to be on the basketball court with Matthew all these years, thinking Matthew was going to be some big sports kid. And it's letting them just give them a little bit of breathing space to explore their own natural desires, their own natural beliefs, their own natural anything and that is what's going to build them from the inside out. And, and I think she's getting so much confidence in outside areas of her life because she found this thing that she d- really desires to want to learn how to do. And she comes back from practice and she's so excited. And I can see that confidence coming then through her relationships, the, the girl drama, Jesus, the girl middle school drama. So it's just another another example of just let our kids be. We usher and support them. Like if you imagine a bowling alley, like we have the the bumpers on. We're not going to let them throw the ball to the other lane and yes. go crazy. You keep the bumpers on, but she can throw that ball any fucking way she wants and it can hit any wall she wants. And we're there just allowing her to make choices within these safety buffers. Yeah. And what's really coming up for me right now, so Matthew's going to be in junior next year, is college. And I have an idea what college is. College is like four years of having a blast, partying your ass off, having fun, maybe going away from home, getting a different perspective. Never going to class because okay, well, never different. did. Okay. I wouldn't tell him to do that. But I'm like, college should be this like experience, like this epic thing. If you go, you should be able to go out of town. Like we'd miss you, but don't feel like you got to stay close to home. And you should like go somewhere and, but they may, may not be Matthew. Like I, I'm pretty sure I want to go to college, but maybe he'll, maybe he'll go to community college and live at home. So I was like, if you'd asked me like a year ago, can I live at home? I've been like, fuck no, you're going away for four years. Oh yeah. You had some deep beliefs around that. So I'm so worried, but he may, so he may stay at home or maybe he'll go to UW, a uh, local school and maybe he'll go wherever, or maybe he'll go somewhere small that I don't want to get off topic, but the point is I'm going to, we're going to do our best to let him drive the boat there, not give what we think he should do because we're not him. We're different people. We have different motivations, different things that we're here to get. It's just constantly keeping our parent agenda in check. And that's hard to do. Call it your ego. You can call it your agenda. You can call it your your way. And it's just, how can I keep reeling that in and just listen to my child? So why is this all important? Why would you even want to do this? Because this is hard parenting. I would say that modern parenting, quote, modern parenting, where you just say, I'm the parent, do what I say, here's the discipline, here are the rules, is kind of fucking easy, lazy parenting because, yeah, you don't have to work at yourself. So why would anybody even want to do conscious parenting? It sounds exhausting. Well, what I have learned about why it's important, first of all, look at social media. 
look at the news, look at people. This world right now is just everyone is so angry and it's my side or this side. And if I, I can't even hear the differences because if you don't think or see the way I do, you're wrong. I'm right. This battle is we are losing this human to human, soul to soul connection creates a lot of suffering for the individual to be in such a fighter mode all the time or to feel like you're constantly having to defend yourself and be right. It's exhausting and it's painful. And if we can just start to look at the other person and accept who they are, we first have to accept all the imperfections of us first. There would be a lot more compassion. The communications on social media would look very different. What we highlight on the news would be very different. And you live just a little bit more with this inner peace. You know, you're just not trying so hard to control everything, everyone around you. Yeah. It's like you're not trying to get your kids to buy into a mindset. This is what's happening. Everyone has this mindset, whether it's way Republican, way Democrat, whatever you believe. It's, you're, it's a mindset. And your mindset is how you make all your decisions in your life. This is what I've got to believe to the death. I'm not flexing for the greater good. I am not doing what's best for life. I'm not even looking at it because I'm in this mindset. But even on a small level, we go back to like we talked about last time, like killing that connection with your kids. If you're constantly going to your agenda and they don't have a say, how's that for a connection? Or if you're fighting all the time about stuff, you're getting angry, you're, you're killing the connection. Again, this is not about you're not soft and rolling over and being do whatever you want. Raise yourself. I don't care. I'm a conscious parent. It's more like the conversation. Like it's not you dictating. It's not them having to fall in line or you getting angry, it kills that connection. Like, let them be, let them be the kindred spirit. Let them make mistakes. Let them do things that you think are really like, that is not going to work. This is like the Titanic going to the iceberg, but let them like, let them fuck up. Like it's okay within reason, of course, but exactly. You're the family that you live in is your playing ground and training ground for real life. And I tell, I've been telling my kids for years, please fuck up. Please make a mistake. Do it wrong. Because do it wrong now while you're here in this container that we are creating safety for you to explore everything. Because then when you go out into the real world and you're really on your own, you've built this self-empowerment, this self-worthiness, this self-resilience, because life is not fair. It's, it is hard. But you learn that in the safety of your, of your family first. People who parent in any way, we all in the end have the same desire. We all just desire this idea of we want our kids to be happy and successful and healthy. Now, what those definitions are is a thousand definitions. But in the end, we're all wanting the same goal. But how we achieve it is greatly different. And when they're older, we want to be able to like and want our kids to like us. And so we want to keep and build this foundation because this, this relationship with them is a lifetime relationship not just in this moment under my rules, my house relationship. So the foundation gets built very young. So to wrap this all up, (laughs) there are a lot of things that we discussed that we will be definitely going in and getting more microscopic in these details of what does discipline look like? What does triggering look like? What does it mean to reparent and look at our ego? There are a lot of 
individual microscopic subjects. What if your kid doesn't want to do something and you just and you think it's great? Are they just being lazy or do you make them do it? Like, what do you do? Oh, we're going to talk about chores for sure. And what do you do when someone, a kid says, fuck you, mom? I hate you. I hate, I hate you. What do you do with that? Well, we'll be talking about in future episodes. We're not saying it's the way or you have to be following what we believe to be part, to be a friend or be in my life or listen to this podcast. It's an approach. It's a different way of looking at things. Maybe you try it out. Maybe you don't. But it's just, it's one way. We are just trying to light a beacon, a flashlight on a potential other path that you could do this thing called parenting. And whether you choose to do it or not, it does not matter. We're here just to shine light on a new way that might work for you. And we're here just to continue to share our stories and how it's helped us. So Conscious Parent, for you listening, we want to end this episode with a tip. And I want to give tips for the women and for the moms out there. And Mike would like to give a tip for the men and the husbands out there. My tip for you today is I want you to write down one question and I want you to journal this question, let it just, whatever thoughts come to you, there is no right or wrong, but just let it come out. And I want you to write this one question. Why did you become a parent? And I will explore with you on the next episode for my next tip, why this question is important, but more importantly, why your answer is really the most important thing. So journal on that this week. Think about it. Why did I become a parent? So good news. Good news, guys. Ours is a lot simpler. For us, for you guys, I just want you to pay attention. Pay attention the next week to a couple things. If you're getting triggered or upset or feeling off, are you taking something personally or are you trying to be right? Yes. So good. Awesome. All right. Well, we will keep it moving and stay tuned for the next episode. Bye. We are so grateful for your support and for tuning in to our podcast. Behind the scenes, I've created a conscious community of like-minded parents who connect over their shared desire to grow, learn this art of conscious parenting, and just find balance in their busy lives. This conscious community continues to grow, and I would love for you to be a part of it. All I need from you is your email address, and I will start sending you delicious moments of solitude straight to your inbox. Link is in the show notes.